Hello and welcome back to the Handstand Cast with me, Emmett Lewis. Unfortunately, today my co-host Mikhail Christiansen is not with us. He is uh, hopefully having a great time. He's working with his company and they are in the depths of devising and he just doesn't have enough uh, brain space, I suppose, to do the episode today, which is fair enough. They are working on their current show, uh, Handstand Forest, and... I'm hearing reports. It's kind of, it's in the later state of production. I know you guys have been listening along the rest of the series. You kind of have followed the journey with it. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I hear it's all good. I hear everyone's getting a bit wrecked from it. So that's always a good sign in these kind of things of uh, get the creative juices flowing, I suppose. So today I am going to do a episode about flexibility training, handstand training, and how we put it all together and how we think about it. I think it's a a useful topic for you. It's going to be, you might want to grab a notebook. It's going to be a bit all over the place, but uh, we'll see what we can do. So there's always this kind of consideration when we think about any kind of, any skill really, not just handstands, but every kind of skill has a flexibility demand to it, a passive flexibility demand and an active flexibility demand. It also has the ability to control your range of motion and to provide variety and variability in your range of motion. This is a universal truth to most activities we do, unless it's, I don't know, I can't even think of one that does it. So what we're looking to do in our flexibility training is also think about how do we want our handstand training to be? What do we, what do we want our practice to be? This is a personal question that you have to ask yourself. And figure out for yourself, like, you know, and I got, I know we have everyone listening from people who are just learning to handstand to kind of advanced people who are like working performance level things. So you kind of have to have an idea of like, you know, what do I want to do? Am I just doing handstands to do a handstand and I want to get a line and I don't care about being textbook perfect? Or do I want a handstand and a handstand practice that is a vehicle for self-expression? So these kind of provide us with kind of clues and kind of directions of what we want. You know, it's also this idea of like, you know, maybe I want to be able to do handstands. I want to be able to do uh, handstand presses and that's it. Or I want advanced level one arms. All these kind of things are considerations that we have to think about. And each one of these will have a specific mobility and flexibility demand to it. We'll also have a level of control demand as well because this comes into what we're looking at in this as well. So to get started, like if we want to look at the at a base level handstand, so we're talking about, say, a straight handstand or the straight shapes, we need a certain amount of shoulder flexion. We need the shoulder flexion to be able to create a stable base to create the line. And the line we're talking about is the line that passes through the center of the body when viewed from the side, not the line at the back of the body, which would be an overflexion. So just bear that in mind. So we need to think, okay, can we do this line? Can we have a test which can show us yes or no whether we can do it? Fortunately, we can because it's kind of what we're looking for is we're trying to decide is like, how good can my line be just from the shoulder level? So if I have this test, this test I'm going to suggest, it's on my YouTube, that will link in the comments, but for anyone who's to try it, you kind of do a little wall sit against the wall, you flatten your spine, 
and then you keep your hands uh, facing each other and you try to get overhead as high as you can with shoulders elevated so we try to replicate our handstand line or what our concept of our line is this test gives us a couple of interesting pieces of information it will tell us where we are tight because we'll be able to by bringing the arms to the side or upwards we'll be able to tell if it's pecs or lats are tight we will also be able to tell more importantly what our line will look like from looking from the wrist to the belly button area this gives us a good idea of what our actual potential alignment is so let's say you couldn't get your hands to the wall and you couldn't get in line or couldn't get in line with your torso now if you were to go okay the wall is the line of gravity if i want my hands to touch the wall which part of my chest do i have to move out to push out so this gives us our kind of banana idea on the handstand so give us an idea of like okay right now i'm working on my flexibility and i want to develop my flexibility and this is the kind of best line in my handstand i can expect at the moment it doesn't mean it'll be static it will change as you get on so it can kind of give you an idea or an estimate of where your handstand will be and what the line will look like at least from the torso level you could expand that this is quite difficult to stand like on tippy toes flat to a wall and lift the hands up you can try it out there's and this is just like it's also like most of the problems upstream on the handstand when they come to flexibility will go oh will generally be generated by something lower down the chain very simple if the chest isn't open or close enough or something else something moves out it's kind of stacking bricks on top of each other so this gives an idea of what our line could be at the earlier stages it also tells us a piece of information that's quite interesting that say i could do looking at this test uh, my handstand line in the test is really nice and straight and then i try to do a handstand and it's all over the place it either tells us that our shoulder flexion strength isn't strong enough to sustain the line or we don't have enough control in our handstand and that we have to express a lower center of gravity line so it's this kind of idea that we have flexibility we have active flexibility and uh, we have actual control these are three separate things it's kind of we can say there is elements in each one but it's one of these things that's kind of this uh, the fallacy of rehab in some ways as well is like just because you made a muscle strong enough doesn't mean it's going to do the right job so it's always this idea of like while you're rehabbing something and you're getting something stronger for whatever reason if you're not also teaching the body the better mechanics and getting the by the mechanics working better in the body and how it's actually moving you'll just have a stronger ass basically everyone all your problems are to do with glutes generally according to rehab or older style rehab anyway so it's this idea that like we have to understand is like okay can I hold the handstand? Can I hold the straight line? Do I one have a physical capability of doing a straight line? Yes or no? Simple. Do I then have the strength to hold the straight line? Not so difficult to figure out, but can be tricky. Do I have the control to balance the straight line? This is the other thing. So then it's like we've got three things to look at in our training and three things to consider. Now, a good balance practice will consider all of these things and we would generally when you're working uh, starting out you'll be working on all these things at once you'll be working on the correct line and the correct positioning you will be working on your flexibility and you'll be working on your control 
what gets more interesting is once we have this line, how do we actually program it? And how do we actually think about it? And it's it's the idea that we need to have the training in our program where we will basically stress the body in the right way. Control is stressed by solving problems. So very simple is we have to keep the problems simple and add variety as you get better at them. So a simple example of control and developing control at the start is just our heel pulls and our toe pulls. Even kicking up and paying attention to the limbs, these are what develop control. Developing strength at the first stage of your handstand, this is also developed active shoulder flexion, is basically our chest-to-wall handstand. This is our active flexibility in the context of a handstand. And then our developing our flexibility would be our flexibility drills, either something like similar to what we have in push, or even just simple basic stretches or isometric stretches. Very straightforward, and it's quite easy to plan this for a beginner. So generally, we're going to try and work on control as much as possible. The more you practice control, the better. Generally, we want to work on strength a bit less. So imagine if we had ultimate unlimited time and all this kind of things. You might want to work on your control aspect. The other thing when I say all this, there is limitations on how we can recover because when we're working on our control, we also have to stress the system and joints and all this, but we'll just ignore that for a moment. So the ideal kind of setup would be like, oh, we will work on control every single day or five, six days a week. We will work on strength three days a week, giving time for recovery. And then flexibility, we will only work on once or twice a week. So it gives a kind of interesting pyramid to the training. It's just something to think about that the flexibility can sometimes take longer to recover from, properly recover from, than the actual strength training. So it's one of these things to bear in mind. So we train flexibility a bit less. But at the same time, the flexibility when I'm talking about is expanding our potential range of motion. So we're expanding, we're making our body do something it can't do, basically, is flexibility training. It can't do it or hasn't been able to do it for a very long time. And we're taking it into a position where we're making it do something it hasn't been able to do. Now we are now taking that zone and training it. And hopefully it will emerge in our training and that will be trained in both a low intensity controlled manner. So we're developing finesse with this new range of motion. And then in a manner that also develops the strength, the hypertrophy and all these other things that go into hand balance training. So we bear that in mind for beginners. What begins to get more interesting and one way to think about it is how do we start thinking about developing flexibility in the context of a broader practice? And this is kind of the main topic for today, I suppose, is let's say let's say you've reached intermediate. We're, we're generalizing today. It's the only way we can do this in such a short time is we are going to generalize that you are an intermediate hand balancer. You want to develop your splits and your flexibility and your bridge to do all the advanced kind of repertoire. Now, let me put it, I suppose, I'll give you guys like what I would consider getting into advanced hand balance. Advanced hand balance, well, it's probably going to be very harsh when I say this, but actually I have three levels of hand balancers, which have sub-levels. But beginner hand balancer, someone who can't handstand, is going from I can't handstand to 
I can do basically all the shapes. Cool. That's a beginner handstand. Once you can do all the shapes and then you're going from press handstand to one arms. So all getting all these things, you're intermediate. And then you're getting advanced would be the graduation criteria I have for my students when they do advanced hand balance is they are able to do this sequence. So they're able to do straight, half straddle, straddle, diamond, tuck in one set, change the other side and do that on the other side. So right and left side have to do that. Generally, I kind of force them to either do a two count of a three to a three or a five count, depending on what I think they are, but that sequence. You have to be able to do a Mexican handstand where your feet go below parallel to the floor. And hopefully a scorpion handstand. There's a bit of leeway on this one. And one flag shape. Flag shape, I'll leave to them when they're doing the hook flag twisted or straddled or whatever. So that kind of graduates you into expert-ish handstand. So we're looking today at someone who is stopping the beginner process, or they are a beginner, it's a never-ending process, uh, wants to go, wants to have all the tools ready to work on the advanced repertoire, which means you need splits, you need bridge, basically. But how do we actually put them into the context of all the other training? And this is where things get interesting. So the first kind of thing is we have to have we have to have our training laid out in the week because if we do some decent flexibility training, we're going to end up stiff the next day. Most people will end up stiff or have some rebound tightness. So if we were thinking, okay, I am going to work on my weight shifts to one arm or even my press handstand, weight shift to one arm, and I need to be able to max out my straddle handstand to its highest limit. But the day beforehand, I'm going to do a mega session for my splits then you're going to come in and then maybe it's just not going to go so well because you are very tight, you're unable, there's a lot of resistance in the body. So we have to bear this in mind in our training week. How do we lay out our training? The same goes for pressing. It's like, okay, I want to work on my press handstand and I need my pancake to be as best as possible for that. Where in the week do I put that when I want to work on the pancake. Well, the obvious answer is you do your pancake training afterwards, but at the same time, maybe it could be more advantageous to do it before. So we're going to kind of talk about this. We're going to talk about uh, how we might set this up and how we might approach this. And uh, same with bridge and same with the other splits. I'll try to give you, I'm going to give you a lot of broad concepts today to think about. So the first idea is we have to have is how do we set up our training week? So setting up our training week is kind of, we have to have an idea of how we like to train. First off, this is what it comes down to. It's like, what do I like to do and how do I like to do it? Do I have a baseline and do I know what it is? So generally, the way I would program a lot of the time or the way I would suggest you program is your training week will start off, let's say you take two days off the weekend and you're going to train five days a week. I'm making it very simple for myself here. Or you might do three days, one day off, two days. So Monday to Wednesday, Thursday off, Friday, Saturday. Kind of a straightforward setup. That one's kind of a better one because you get a break off in the midweek. But who knows? And it, depending if you work or not, Saturday can be a very good training day. But I won't consider that for a moment. So what we do is we think we've had a break. We've had Monday. We come in Monday. We generally 
for a lot of people you'll find now this is hit and miss I think Bikel ran a a poll on his stories and got a kind of 50-50 answer on this so coming in after a rest day you may or may not be able to perform your highest skill repertoire because you'll need one day of training to get locked into it so if you find that then you want to schedule your training depending either Monday or Tuesday you want to have your movements that have the highest skill demand and also you need to be the freshest for so let's assume you come in on Monday and that's your best day or that's the day when you can perform your highest skill highest demand exercises so you'll do them that day the next day it can either be a repeat of that or it can be movements that require less skill so Monday could be I will start working on new shapes or new transitions or I'll start working on let's say you're working on the one arm I will work on straight arm support rather than four finger support then on the Tuesday you would come in and work on say four finger support more strength higher endurance demands uh, or same amount of strength but less less variables to control about and then on Wednesday we will move on to something different we would work on say our pressing strength so in this setup we have to think okay what do we do on Monday we're going to put all of our stats into hand balance we're just going to do use every bit of energy we have in the training to do hand balance we're going to work on all our high skill things we're going to take our time in our session we are going to push for new stuff we're going to experiment we're going to this so we don't want to do anything that would develop our flexibility on this day because we're putting our stats in we also have another day of training coming next where we might need our flexibility to be maxed out so on our second day of training if we are going in and this is how i'd set a week up on wednesday we'd be working on strength skills uh, generally pressing if we don't have a press so we'd come in we'd be working on our one arm kind of lead up drills our flagging all this the next day we would do the same on a wednesday we would start working on skills that are less intensive on our actual skill demand so they would be two arm handstand stuff this could also be a strength day in terms of like pressing handstand push-up pull-up stuff like that so you you know just general strength training as much as handstand specific strength training but let's just say it's press day so i'm working on my pressing on that day so on the tuesday because i know i will still need my splits and my pancake to be at an acceptable level on that day then i will want to stretch my bridge and my front splits and hopefully there's not too much crossover from your hamstrings in a single leg position as it is to the legs apart so a lot of people will find that you can be doms in one plane and it will be unaffected you might have a bit of sensitivity but that's okay because we're not looking for high sensitivity high skill moves the next day so we would schedule our stretching for our bridge and our front split on this day this will give us this will give us our like basically as minimal crossover between what we're going to do one day to the next the next day we were going to do our press work that's the day we also do our general strength training possibly some leg training you know you want to do some squats deadlifts i'm totally in favor of them obviously do them on that day and then do your lower body flexibility 
range of motion development exercises for the splits, side splits and middle splits I'm talking about now, and pancake. At the same time, because you're working on press, you will also work on your compression. So we're beginning to get a bit of bang for a buck here. We're beginning to get non-crossover, thinking about how fresh we can be, what we need on the day, and when we can place it for the next day as well. Then, thankfully, Wednesday we have a day off, or Thursday we have a day off. You will rest. Now, this is where things get a bit tricky. So we're coming in on Friday. We've had our three days of training on the row. We've had a day off on Thursday. And you want to think, okay, what am I going to do on Thursday if it doesn't require a... if my legs are still tight from Wednesday start training? So maybe you're tight, maybe you're not. This is going to be personal. But on the Friday session... Maybe you want to take it easier. This could just be a light session where you start working on two-arm stuff. You could be working on combinations on two arms. You could be working on straight-up endurance on two arms. You could be working on expression, shapes, alignment, and geometries. Or you could also be working on... Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think what else other things you could work on. You could work on things that have very low flexibility demand but can have a high amount of precision one of the things i like personally now this could be very over person is doms and tightness can shed a light onto bits of bodies that you're not aware of and that can just be used to enhance the control and enhance the conscious spread through the body so you might not be able to achieve peak flexibility or peak flexibility demands but on those days you'll be able to get like oh this is the days when you get you notice like, oh, one foot points slightly inwards and one foot doesn't. You can feel the difference in the muscles and you can feel the difference on how you have to point the calves to get the toes pointed, if that makes sense. Then, because you've got Saturday coming up and it's a day off and you get to sleep in and hopefully, I know we've got a lot of parents here who are like, sleep in, what is that? But uh, some of us get to sleep in still. So we will have a sleep in. And then we will get up on Saturday, be fresh. Possibly it's a fun session, hands on and coffee. It can be a play session, but also a skill session. And hopefully by then, you will have recovered from your stretching to uh, overcome it. Now, this comes up as like, okay, uh, what stretching do we do today? This is the day where you kind of have to make the call. So you can obviously stretch more during the week, don't get me wrong. You could also stretch on Friday and you could do your bridge and your front splits then. And then on Saturday, you could do your pancake and middle splits again. So this means everything's getting stretched developmentally twice a week. A lot of the time that can be overkill. I'll say that straight up now. If you're using your flexibility, I'm going to talk about this in a second. Maybe you don't need to stretch that much in terms of what develops it. You could get away with like once a week for bridge and side splits. And once a week for front splits as well. Up to you. It's also the goal of flexibility training is to just be flexible, not do flexibility training. We have to remember that. So I'm going to cycle now back to the start of the week and talk a bit more about training and the intercession. How do we approach it? So it's one of these things I get asked a lot is how do we actually warm up and how do I warm up flexibility? So one of the things I always... I always want to start to encourage you to do is to have check-in movements where you check in on the body, you're very familiar with them and they give you an indicator of how the rest of the body is over 
you know, compared to day to day. So you get into, you know, simple squat. Sitting in a squat could tell you a lot. Could be a horse stance. Could be sliding into a front split. Could be sliding to side splits. Could be a bridge. Could be a cobra stretch. Whatever you want. But you have to be familiar with it. It has to give you an idea of like, oh, you know, one side's tighter than the other. One side's tighter than not. So we will have a couple of these movements. And you'll just kind of... Jenny say to people do joint rotations. Just rotate our joints very gently. I have a video on YouTube that shows a few. There's no right or wrong. It's not a specific technique. It's just moving the body. The next thing we need to get into is the specific warm-up for our flexibility. Now, I know there's a lot of people say, oh, you don't need any warm-up for flexibility. Uh, hmm... It's one of these debatable things. It's like as much as people have tried it, there's a lot of people who will still always need some kind of warm-up and preparation. And there's other people who hopefully your flexibility training will get you to the point where you won't need it. You know, the goal is to be able to do it without a warm-up, but I still advise you to take some time. It's kind of that thing, I think, in uh, Thomas Kerr's book, Stretching, Stretching Scientifically, he talks about like you should have the ability to basically kick someone in the head once you get up cold, if you use his methods, and I agree with that, you probably will be able to do it. But at the same time, if you're about to do a two-hour training session, you should take time to actually warm up and feel the body out. Our warm-up for hand balance achieves a few things. It achieves, it helps give us this conscious awareness of the body and the limbs. We do it if we're trying to feel the limbs out and feel if we have dark spots or other things and how it is on that day. It gives us a chance to practice our own personal aesthetic. So let's say I really want to have, let's just talk about very straight lines. Uh, my aesthetic is really straight lines with really nice pointed toes and extended knees. Well, beginning to just get into your flexibility positions and focus on these details gives you a chance to practice them in very low tolerance examples. The other thing, doing flexibility training and warming it up properly beforehand it will just allow you to just be a bit more relaxed in our legs because it's kind of one of these things like a lot of the warm-up that people talk about for flexibility training is uh, training and they say don't do is they're looking at trying to do speed and power movements and uh, generally you don't want to sit in a split before you go do squatting though you could you know the debate is out on this it's not as settled as a lot of people will present but what we're trying to do in handstand training, particularly if we're getting to the advanced stage and we want to have a lot of freedom in the waist and legs, is we want to be able to move around and we want to have very little resistance to this and we want to have normalized sensation that these ranges of motion are normal. So we need to basically, and then we also need to warm up our active flexibility because we're actively moving our legs in space. So the warm up should consist of two things. It should consist of active flexibility drills where I'm moving my legs. And then, this is for splits anyway. And then we should also do some relaxed drills where we just hang out and chill in the positions. And we can actually combine this in a manner that will speed things up. So what we would do, I'll use side splits as an example, but you can do this on pancake as well, is we are going to do some kind of isometric hold. So we would generally, generally I would use something like a standing tilt or a pissing dog or something like this. I love the way everyone is using that name, by the way. I kind of just put it out as a bit of a joke a few years ago, and now it's kind of disseminated out, and a lot of people don't know why they're calling it a pissing dog. But uh, yeah, 
good times. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so we would do this and our focus would be on actively using the shortening side of the muscles at the same time, locking our knees, pointing our toes, standing on point, getting very nice extension in our limbs. Once we have this and once we do the whole, we're really putting a lot of like effort into the butt cheeks. We'll do one side, we'll do the other side. You could either do sets of holes for five to 10 seconds and do three to four repetitions. You could also do it for a 30 second static hold. Your choice, try both and see what you prefer. Then immediately you are going to get into your side split. Now, what I like to do is you're going to enter and exit the side split two or three times, even up to four or five times. So you're just going to get down you slide into it using hand or however you want. Generally, I say hands on this because you're going to get out of it. And it can be, oh, I want you to do this quite quick or quick-ish. Slide in as far as you can till smooth. Stop at that point. Breathe in, breathe out, relax, sink, come back out. Repeat. So slide in. Get to the stop point wherever you stop in your split. Hopefully, hopefully go flat. Who knows? Stop there. Breathe in. Breathe out. Release come back out. And then on the third one, you're just going to hold it and relax in the position. Your goal will be to use the active muscles that you have done. You kind of want to, when we're using our butt cheeks to pull our side splits and pull us deeper, we kind of want to find our alignment, use a lot of power, and then when we cruise into it, we relax them slightly. So we go from like an 80% contraction to a 50% contraction. And then we just chill out there and our goal now is to release the tension. This is what static stretching does very well. It releases tension or it normalizes tension as well. So you can get a good feeling and go, okay, right side, relax, relax, relax. Left side, relax, relax. We also want to rock around. We want to free things up. So you have an option of like relax a bit and then feel it like, you know, shimmy a bit to a side, move the spine around, move to one side, shift the weight from side to side this kind of thing feel it out this counts even if you're flat on the ground uh, do this at the same time you're paying attention to knees and toes get that aesthetic you're looking for don't let them go on autopilot this process what i kind of describe as doing an isometric hold followed by entering and exiting the stretch a couple of times two three times and then holding for a longer more relaxed will work on every single position so try it out in pancakes you'd use compressions or a standing abducted leg lift, so a leg lift to the side. On splits, you kind of have to mess around and use something for hip extension and something like an active straight leg raise to the front for the hip flexion side of it. So you have to figure it out yourself. At the same time, we are thinking about our aesthetic. This is the kind of thing is like once we've warmed up the positions, this is very quick to go through. You want to go back to the positions and you want to start thinking like, oh, I need to warm up my waist. Well, I will sit in a wide straddle and I'll start bending my waist. Then I will start honing in on the details like, okay, I'm bending my waist, but my knees are bending. Mm, wrong. So we will keep our toes pointed. At the same time, we'll bend our waist and try keep all our alignment and extension and kind of control what we're looking for working at the same time. So we're beginning to add complexity. We've freed up the positions. We've loosened them out. We've got our kind of nice ability to get into them. Then we will start just adding something. So it's like, say I'm working on flags. This is what it's kind of getting at. 
I'll try and replicate my flag position while I'm seated in a pancake. I'll pay attention to alignment. I'll see how my lat feels. I start using all these movements to scan the body. So I go in, I bend over into my flag shape and my lat feels really tight. Okay, then I will get up and I will do something for my lats to try free it up. I'll do a side lat stretch or I'll do an active stretch or an isometric something. Then I'll go back and retest. And this kind of process, at the same time while you could be doing your wrists and other stuff, then becomes part of a slightly longer warm-up, which is also going to enhance how our session goes. So now, when we get on our hands, so run your wrists up as usual, as we would normally do, then get on your hands. And one of the first things you want to do is have a check-in handstand, where you will go into, say, a straddle is the easiest one to do it. You straddle up into a straddle handstand, and then now that you've got enhanced feedback from all the other stuff we've done, it's like, okay, am I pulling my straddle open enough? Is there a bit more juice? Try pull it open enough. Okay, are my knees bent? Okay, lock the knees out. Okay, are my toes pointed? Okay. Then this is when the usage side of the flexibility becomes useful because we can do this in two ways. We can do it very gently, not working with tension or excess tension. Or we can start holding, say, straddle, diamond, tuck, positions with a lot of tension in the legs we can start squeezing all the muscles squeeze them really tight point them really hard and we can keep this going for quite some time we can do it in a straight handstand we can try and make like the straightest most perfect alignment with just the legs even it doesn't mean it's this idea of extension extension is a quality that i talk a lot about in circus and in ballet as well where we're not just our body doesn't stop at the ends it stops beyond the end, so we fill space. The same idea applies in handstands, and this is what stretches our intent, is we're not just, and it's not about like making big shapes and getting your shoulders up to your, as high as your ears you can. It's more that you're trying to make the intent or, I don't know, to get metaphysical, your aura or you're shooting laser beams out your feet. This idea like, okay, I'm stretching out and every single part of the body is involved in the shape this will enhance the flexibility as well so we're beginning to start with our warm-up getting loose then getting to a point where we're like beginning to shape the body in the specific manner we want it to be now i'm just using straight lines but you know it could be flex feet and flex joints and all this that's fine if that's your style if it is a conscious choice and you can choose between one or the other it is cool. If you if one is your default and that's all you can do, but you want the other, then you need to work on it. But then we will start using our flexibility and in our basic shapes when we're doing our warm things and the things that are very, very simple to us. We will start trying to find all these nice alignments because once we start doing things that are more complicated, things start going to shit. We know this. So it's like, okay, I want to start going from a straddle to a straight to a tuck to a straight to a straddle to a straight something like this some kind of leg movement and then suddenly when we watch the video back you should be watching your videos you will see your feet will go to shit if you haven't practiced paying attention to the feet but because you have a body map that you can now pay attention to the feet and that you've warmed up in the flexibility you can you don't need to focus so much on pulling your knees apart or pulling it in legs apart into the straddle because the alignment should be set but then you can start paying attention to the distal parts of the body and start getting that intent and getting that conscious and having 
inhabitant of the body going on. At the same time, we can start thinking this is how we want our aesthetic to be. It's kind of this thing of like, I do like people to get straight lines and all these kind of nice extensions and these things and classic lines. But at the same time, then we begin to have a choice. It's like, oh, I want to make my shapes a bit funky. I want to, you know, play with them. But it gives you this intent. I'm getting slightly off handstands here. Or no, not handstands, flexibility. But I'll go back to it. So we have done this. And all this higher tension usage of the flexibility in the positions goes into working our positions in a lower intensity manner. And what do I mean by that? So... I have talked about before about this idea of using of gravity as an assistance to stretching where we will add gravity is a vector that applies a force in a direction. So in some of the positions, if we were to say, let me think, let's describe this. So if I was to do a pike stretch and I go forward, standing, standing forward fold, gravity is pulling me down. It's assisting the stretch. If I was to sit on the floor and go forward, gravity is at right angles to the stretch and it's about 90 degrees. It's never going to go away completely, but it's not really assisting the lengthening direction towards the feet. And then if I was to do a hanging leg raise where I my legs are going up to a toes to bar, it's basically a pike stretch, but its gravity is resisting the movement of the legs or resisting the stretching. So we have these kind of relationships in the body where we can use gravity to educate the body on what we're looking to do. The same thing happens in handstands where if we are in our inverted positions in our splits, this can be front splits, side splits, pancakes, whatever. Gravity will help us find, it'll give us a vector. It's pulling ourselves down. Then can we take over and can, can we control it? So if gravity is pulling our legs down, our legs weigh 10 kilos, can we take over and use that vector from gravity and say okay we're going this way let's enhance it and this is what begins to feed into the flexibility training if we don't have a hands-band practice or practice that actively uses our flexibility in 3d space then we have to create it outside it but because everyone here does handstands we are using handstands to develop the flexibility and this is why you would generally see if we think about circus artists Circus artists, pole dance, aerialists, all these kind of things. Not jugglers, not you jugglers, go away. Uh, they generally have quite a big range of flexibility and quite an accessible flexibility because they play with all these relationships with gravity. And if we even just look in strength training terms, if we have maximal sets where we're working against gravity, we have sub-maximal sets and we have assisted sets. This is what's going on. So if we're treating flexibility like a strength training, this is what's going on. We also have variety and we also have daily undulating periodization. Awesome. So we have a lot of things going on there that we could pull from strength training words if we wanted to use their terminology. But we're not for a moment. So this gives you an idea of how then we'd finish, sorry, we would finish the session and then we would do our developmental stretches. So our developmental stretches might be sets of isometric side splits or other such things. Uh, we might try and work on the active closing and the supersetting sort of shortening ranges with closing ranges. So these kind of things as well. So it can get complicated, but you know, a simple example would be we want to get our tailor's pose. Uh, we want to get our tailor's pose flat. So we sit against the wall. We would work on the shortening side where we will try to max out our pushing down against two yoga blocks. We crush these blocks, crush, 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 crush. 
Then we take them out and we get some weights and we put the weights on our knees and then we'd lift the tailor pose up and down. Also using the glutes to pull us down. So we'd go down into the stretch. We'd use the glutes to help drive us down using gravity and the weights, pull us down, reach the bottom, pause for a second or two, lift back up. So we have enhanced the shortening ability and then we work the lengthening ability. And this would be hopefully drive you into a new range of motion or a range of motion that's not available when you're cold. Uh, this puts the flexibility training into the context of the greater picture. And it's kind of it's kind of one of those things that's uh well it's kind of touching on the aerialist and the circus artists is if we were just to take the flexibility component out of it and say, what do you do for your flexibility? Uh, they give us the flexibility training. Well say we'll say aerialists. It's easy to pick on, but uh, we go, what do you do for your leg flexibility training? They go, oh, I sit in splits and I do this stretch and I do that stretch and I don't really pay attention to it and I kind of just do my hand training. And if someone who didn't do aerial tries to uh, take the, that stretching program, maybe it'll work, maybe it wouldn't. But what the aerialist doesn't realize, or a lot of them do nowadays, but maybe not when I was at school, is all the times they're using their flexibility, trying to find their alignments, trying to find these deep shapes and the lovely splits in the air and all this kind of stuff, they are training their flexibility. We are doing the exact same thing in handstands. We just have to be semi-formal and semi-aware of what we're doing. So this is the kind of idea of like, say I want to develop my flag shape. Well, we can stretch the side bend, but the actual flagging itself is a form of loaded stretching that will get us in and out. And as we get stronger, we will go deeper. At the same time, we could enhance it and speed it up a little by adding in some side bend stretches at the end of our session. It's not to be all and end all, but it works in synergy. And this is one of the key things about uh, a lot of the handstand factory programming is the flexibility development stuff is actually hidden in the programming. It's not just the routines we've given you for flexibility, but the whole program works as a synergistic whole. So even if you're not following our programs, you just need, should consider this and think about it as I go. Generally, I have a rule of thumb that we want somewhere between, we basically, if we took the volume of our stretching sets, where we're de developing our flexibility total, we want about four times the amount of sets over the course of a week that we're using our flexibility. So if we're doing 10 sets, then we 10 sets of side splits based activities or pancake, then we want about 40 sets where we're using side split flexibility. This is a rule of thumb, you don't have to be completely precise on it, but it just gives you an idea of like that. One of the reasons is when we're using them in these maximal and submaximal ways, particularly the submaximal ways, is it's kind of like if we compare it to say heavy deadlifting versus uh, jumping. We Jumping can enhance your deadlift and deadlifting can enhance your jumping. But we can get away with a decent amount more jumping than we can deadlifting over the course of a week for strength training. Same thing here. The more we can use our flexibility, the more we use it in a sub-maximum way, we're not pushing, pushing the limits. The less stretching we have to do, the less formal flexibility training we have to do, at the same time it gets more synergistic. I hope everyone's following along with this. I, As an aside, it's kind of, it was a bit short notice that I was going to pull this episode myself this evening. So I am literally just uh, speaking off the top of my head on this topic. Uh, yeah, I hope everyone's with me. So... I would like to uh, I'd like to cover one other thing, what a concept I call operating ranges. So operating ranges is what I what I look for 
when picking exercises for people and having an expectancy of how they can do an exercise or how well they can perform it. The easiest way to talk about this is uh, Stoller Press. Stoller Press and the bottom half of Stoller Press and the pancake. So, or the Elsa Press or something like this. So, generally, depending on my client, student, or whoever I'm working with, we want to establish what is their operating range. What is the range of flexibility they can display when they are semi-fatigued? And what's just there? What's in the body? Can they do it fresh? Can they do it cold? What can they display after the warm-up? And what is the average of that? The average of that will dictate the flexibility demands I'll put on them for their strength training or for their exercises. So let's say someone wants to install their press on the floor and their pancake is, they can barely lean forward at this stage or less than 45 degrees, then I'm not going to let them train stall their press on the floor. I am going to make sure that they're always working with their hands elevated so that the feet, if they need to, can pass below the hands. So this means we can train the shoulder flexion strength. We're still training the compression, the compression that happens naturally in the stoller press or gets trained in. At the same time, we're still training our shoulder flexion, but we're giving them space to allow for maybe their lacking total range of motion. It's the same with, say, I hope you're following me, say, with Elsa press as well. Elsa press, unless you are like, just have a very comfortable, you know, face completely flat to the shin, Elsa there's no point really training the LCA press on the floor because it's very fucking difficult and it relies a lot on limb length and stuff like this. But we can train it on parallettes and we can train the pressing side of things and build the shoulder flexion strength about that while working on the compression and while developing the other side of things. So that is definitely something to consider. It's like, what's my operating range? It's like, okay, I want to do a... And what's your expectation of how your movements will look? It's like, I want to train my one-arm handstand. Uh, the ideal thing is my legs would be so flexible, they'd be in line with my body. And when my split is really warm up, it's a really good day, it's completely flat, no gap. And my legs would be in line or have an over-split. That'd be great. But when I warm up, when I warm up, when I get comfortable in my split and it's not too forceful, I'm not pushing down hard, or when I lie on my back and I test my split and I pull down, and I pull down with a casual amount of force. It's the legs are kind of maybe 160 degrees. They're not completely flat. They're above the horizon. Think about it that way. So then, in my one arm handstand training, I won't have the expectation of looking on the side and expecting my legs to be on the same plane as the body. I'll have the expectation that they will replicate my lying on the back split. This is pretty universal for a lot of people. So this is my operating range of flexibility and my total rate potential range is what I can achieve once I've maximally done my flexibility training or gone beyond so this gives us kind of like the closer we can get them the better and this is our goal is to achieve our maximal potential and then just make it available which comes after the time but at the same time kicking the mic stand so at the same time this gives us our choice it's like okay if I've really stretched out my shoulders I've really spent a lot of time I've done all my drills then I'm completely flat and my handstand has the potential to be straight. When I do a general warm-up, like I described, and get warm and get ready to do my training, they're not perfectly overhead, so then I don't have the expectation my line will be perfectly straight, but I know I have the potential in there for my line to be straight once I've trained long enough and consistently enough. 
So that's one thing to think about on the operating range. The operating range also applies to active flexibility. Let's say, let's pick a big example just to do this. So I have someone who can go completely flat to the floor on pancake and they have trained their body for quote unquote floppy useless flexibility as some people would let us go. And does that even exist? Anyway, whatever. Uh, so they've trained it and they have no active strength. So they can sit on the floor and they can't lift their leg up in a compression. And they can't get the compression strength. Generally for a stalled press on the floor, I like people to be able to lift their legs up. Generally sort of 30, 40 degree angle is pretty good. And then once they can do that, if they can't do that, then it's the same idea. It's like, oh, well then... We probably won't work on stalder at all with this person. We just work on their compression strength and they would do stalder without training it, but it's another thing. So we would just generally go, okay, where can you compress? We'll sit on a box and we'll measure the compression. We go, okay, so you go parallel to the ground. This same person would do the same exercise as the other person, the hands raised stalders, but with a focus on drilling the compression. So we might pick different exercises that put more focus on compression strength in the stalder press to build their shoulder flexion as well at the same time as building their compression. So it's kind of knowing where your flexibility is, both passive and active, and what you need to work on. Um, what borks out first is our key. It's like, okay, what goes first? Does my ability to actively compress at the hip, or do I strategically bend my knees and toes? Strategic bending is uh, what a lot of my students engage in, and it makes me sad sometimes, but we allow it, we allow it. And then it's like, as we get stronger, we are able to strategically keep our legs straight and pointed toes and all these kind of things. So I'm going to recap all the things I've gone over. So one is just understanding your training week. What do you do when in the week and when do you place your training? Understanding what's coming the day afterwards so you can know, okay, I want to do one arms one day and I need my split to be as best as possible. I will not train it the day before because then I'll come in tight and it won't be the best it can possibly be. Or I'll know it will be reduced and then I'll have an expectation of not programming high demand flexibility exercises on those days. We looked at how to actually warm up and how to spend some time and how we want to warm up both our active shortening levels of flexibility, our relaxation in the positions, and also our control and embodiment in these positions and how to get our aesthetic. Warming up an aesthetic is a thing. It's not just it's not just a, it's not just something that happens. An aesthetic a choice and a style comes from training. It comes from choices you have made in your training. So don't forget that. So you can warm these up as well. So these are the three components to warming up our flexibility. Then we looked at how we actually use our flexibility in the session, going from simple positions, but really high tension, really clarity, really defining them, going for it, getting them really nice to reducing this intent when we start taking more and more complicated ones, but at the same time checking back in every now and then and using the awareness we've generated from our warm up to our low intensity, low mental headspace positions to the next level. Then we looked, okay, now that we have our environment that the flexibility exists in, then we looked at how do we develop it, where we put it, that comes at the end of the workout generally. One actual side is if you are pressed for time and you haven't got a lot of time to train, you can actually just do your stretching between sets of exercises. 
this does work. It's you know, it's not it's not the best, but it definitely works. You know, you have a, an hour training and you can just superset. I'll do a set of handstands, set of pancakes, set of handstands, set of pancake. Okay, I'll do my straddle handstands, my pancakes. Yeah, you know, it works. It's definitely uh if you have the luxury of time, don't. But if you don't have the luxury of time, do it, it works. Uh, then we looked at, okay, we do our flexibility training, what actively seeks to expand our range of motion beyond what we can capably do or to our limit. Uh, limit being, you can decide what that is for yourself. And then we also think about, okay, what comes next day? What's coming next? What's going next in the training week? When does our flexibility need to be recharged and ready to go? Uh, other than that, it's also kind of the transition one of the things I suppose to finish up is there is a transition from flexibility training where we need to train it with a lot of high tension methods or the fastest way to develop it is with a lot of strength or developing the right strength in the right ranges of motion. Once we have done this, then it becomes actually we need to back off on the strength. We want to learn to relax and release into the positions to do them with the least amount of effort and the least amount of energy possible. We want to take our time. We want to, there'll be like a kind of, a certain amount of something that needs to be done in the position to maintain your alignment, to maintain your aesthetic, but you want to be able to back off to the minimum amount of tension. This is what gives effortlessness. This is what gives low tension movement. This is what, you know, makes you supple. If we're too tense, then the body can't coordinate. If we have the right amount of tension, the right amount of spring, then the body can coordinate between all its segments. And this is when we get these kind of we get ability. Tension reduces ability because it's just too tense. If you're tense, you're like stone. By having the least amount of tension to maintain rigidity or rigidness, then we can be a bit more like bamboo. So I'm going to get you thinking here. It's like we go from tense to relaxed, and that's what we're looking for. Uh, other than that, I am going to wrap up here. I hope you had a good solo sode with Emmett. Uh, yeah. It's kind of one of these big, big topics. It's very hard to condense down, but uh, hopefully that helped a lot. Uh, if people want to read a bit more, there is... Uh, I've done an lecture for the Embodiment Conference that might still be online. I think they're doing a repeat at the moment. I'll be putting it up online on one of my channels soon enough anyway, but it just talks about some of the other stuff. I have some articles on my Modern Matters Mobility site. We also have the Hand Balance Flexibility Programs in the hand balance courses that are related to the handstand factory and it kind of covers a lot of the thinking we expressed tonight and it gives you an idea of how we actually think synergistically and how we're working on all these things uh other than that yeah hopefully next week Mikael will be back after his residency he can fill us all in on what they got up to i think at this stage i think i don't want to uh i don't want to jigs it but i think at this stage they're going to be very close to having a finished show so that would be awesome. I'm going to throw this out here because Mick is not here and shoot us. I think we should have a handstand factory, handstand cast meetup at the premiere of the show. So we can all just go and fangirl over Mikhail and the crew. I think I'm going to do that anyway. And uh, I think people should be uh, thinking about joining us. Other than that, I'm going to wrap up. Uh, thank you for listening to me ramble. And if you have any questions, you know where to find me. Goodbye.